It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 1st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a proposed buffer zone could go into effect around the state's only remaining abortion provider. Hear from one business owner who says the noise from protesters and counter-protesters is driving away customers. And after a Mississippi StoryCorps, hear from one researcher who says ending HIV in America is an attainable goal. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Jackson City Council will take up an ordinance today that would place a buffer zone between protesters and the state's only abortion provider. The Jackson Women's Health Organization is in a neighborhood known as Fondren. It's represented by Council President Virgie Lindsay. She says homeowners and businesses have been complaining about protesters who use an amplifier to yell at patients, as well as business owners and customers across the street. I do think that most of us are very concerned about protecting the businesses in the Fondren area. And I I think that that is going to be a predominant factor in how we make our decisions. Christy Lazari owns La Brioche Patisserie, a local eatery and French-style bakery. She talks with MPB's Desiree Fraser. As a business owner, I'm all in favor on reducing uh, protesting or people uh, speaking outside the a facility, especially during the weekdays, and when they do it, they do it really early in the morning. Um, I have customers of ours that cannot sit outside because of the noise. It's, it's of bad taste, of all the screaming they do. It becomes just a fight on words. I understand everybody has their opinions on the matter, but uh, it becomes not civilized at the end of the day. So no matter what your point of view is, it's just it's in bad taste for everybody. Do you think that you have lost business because of it? I mean, I'm unsure of that, but I think it just makes people think twice before sitting outside, for example, especially when we have such a great weather here in Mississippi. It's, you, you, can, you can be outside. People come inside and 
um, it you know we have families coming in and they just can't be out and it's just not not enjoyable for anybody have business owners met about this uh, we have spoken and we we would like to see a reduction of those um, groups meeting outside uh, and I hopefully this will be a great step towards that have you seen police out yes, there yes we have had the police fighting with the protesters the business owner I'm uh, sorry, the building owner trying to appease the protesters. And again, it just becomes uh, a quarrel. It's not, it's, not, it's not peaceful anymore. So any uh, point of view the protesters are trying to, be, to shoot across, it's just it's a war on words, really. As a business owner, I just would like to see all kinds of family being able to enjoy a Saturday, especially on a Saturday uh, morning, to be able to sit and if, I mean, people are going to do what they need to do. So just screaming your opinion, especially being disrespectful, because uh, you have to put yourself in everybody's shoes. And I'm sure nobody wants to resource to, to use the clinic, but uh, we all, have, you know, we need to see what, just put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a little bit and try to understand. And you've heard disrespectful language? Yes, and accusations of not being a good Christian. And, I mean, at the end of the day, calling each other's name makes nobody a better person. So I think at some point they are just disproving their point by being rude to past, past buyers or people try, needing to use the clinic. Christy Lazari is the owner of La Brioche. Another business manager in Jackson's Fondren neighborhood is Ashley Laskin. Laskin, her family runs roosters where customers indulge in American fare like ribs and country fried steak. She says a noise ordinance in the neighborhood would be the right move. I think that would be a good idea to do because it disrupts business and um, it's just a negative what has it been like for you? What have you, what, what have you had to um, go through? Confrontations, um, people being uncomfortable to come here to eat, uh, people, those protesters being confrontational with us, yelling at us about um, that we make money over here. We don't care about the babies being murdered. Do you feel like you've lost business? I don't know if it's lost business. Um, I'm sure that that may, you know, make people uncomfortable and not want to come. I mean, you know, we're still busy, but it may, maybe. You're across the street from the Jackson Women's Organization. You're across the street from it. So you're saying they come over across the street and confront business folks. They have. They have come across the street and then they go back over, but they yell. They yell sometimes over to us walking. I've had them yell at me and a few of my employees. Have you seen the police out here? Do you call them? No. um, Maybe like when there was, uh, I think, a a fight going on. This was a few months ago. Um, Or just, you know, like if it gotten kind of rowdy. But no, I've not noticed the police. You said it makes you uncomfortable. Yes. Do you think that putting an ordinance in place will is the answer? I think that would help. Definitely. I think that would, you know, keep, they can be peaceful and go do their protests and not scream and 
at other people. Some people have said that they are offended by the signs. Do you find that they bring the signs over with them and your customers can see them? Yes, some of the signs are very offensive. I don't mind the ones, you know, if you want to say, you know, I protest abortion or whatever, but the, the dead baby signs are awful. They're sad, and I don't want my children seeing them, and I don't think these babies out here should be seeing them. It's an adult problem or a problem. It's an adult situation, and... Um, I don't think that they have their children out here, and I've told them that. I've said this is not something they should see. Do you think that there is another resolution to this besides the ordinance, or do you think it will take that to stop it? I don't, I, I, I don't see these people going anywhere. I think they're going to go to any length um, to get their point across. Um, so somebody's going to have to do something to, to stop the, the noise. Ashley Laskin of Roosters in Jackson. Laura Duran is president of Pro-Life Mississippi. She tells our Desiree Frazier she's willing to talk about reducing noise, but the way she sees it, the cause of abortion protesters is more important than commerce. Well, I think um, the businesses represented are not um, concerned about the life of um, the babies or the life of the mother and the um, post-abortion syndromes that go into their lives in the future. I feel like they should be more concerned about that. I do understand the noise. I do understand that at times. And I have probably said this before to you, but we are a diverse group of Christians out there trying to save moms and babies from abortion. So we have a different approach. A lot of us have a different approach. But I feel like that can be uh, taken care of. I pray that um, the council will look past the businesses and just their feelings, but look towards the feelings of these moms that go in there and feel like that's their only choice. While it is the abortion clinic that is the central subject because of the issue that you are raising, I, I talked to a resident who doesn't agree or disagree with either side and was uh, upset, uh, a resident right in on that same street that the clinic is located on because the abortion clinic is playing loud music to drown out protesters who are yelling at people as they go into the clinic. So you have these competing noises that begin as early, as she told me, at 7 in the morning. And I did come out there, I think, one time at 7 in the morning. And music was playing. And so this disrupts their sleep um, and inconveniences them in their own home. So where can you draw the line? Because you have, like you said, you have different groups. Not everybody does that, from what I was told by um, the escorts that lead people into the clinic. But there are groups of protesters who are so aggressive that it has become more difficult for businesses to operate and for people to enjoy their home. In the beginning, um, the 
escorts, the clinic, started the music. They started it to drown us out. Now, let me ask you, you've heard me speak. As we're speaking now, you've heard me speak before, right in front of me. Now, would you think that you would need to drown my voice out by a blaring radio? You don't have to answer that, but they do blare my... They, when I start talking to the women as they're going in, they will put the music up loud. They will even say, okay, Laura, are we going to have to turn the music up just because I'm speaking as we're speaking right now? So we have been done this way for many years. I've only been there since 2012, but, and we didn't have this problem then. But they brought out the music, not us. And as far as something to be done about it, um, yes, I believe there is. And we, and I want to say I, not, I'm not bringing pro-life Mississippi in this, but me personally, I would be, be certainly one to go to the table and, and speak and, and see what can be done. We are not hard-headed people. We just want to be able to touch those moms. If this goes into effect, you will definitely see more abortions because the women have no choice. Laura Duran of Pearl Life, Mississippi, with MPB's Desiree Frazier. The Jackson City Council will consider the proposed noise ordinance near the state's only abortion provider later today. Coming up, hear from one researcher who says ending HIV in America is an attainable goal. That's after a Mississippi StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Albert Sykes says teachers are important, not just school teachers, but life teachers. One of the lessons he tries to teach his son is about the importance of using politics to make your community a better place. Here, Albert Sykes is interviewed by his son, Aiden, at the Jackson Stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour. So, Dad, what's your most vivid memory as a teenager? The funniest memory I have is being in class, being in high school, in my 10th grade English class and going to sleep. And I was sleep like I was just kind of detached from school. My grandmother had just passed right before school started, and I transferred to a new school. So I was sad about her and lonely because I didn't know most of these folks that I was in school with. And I remember going to sleep in the class, and the next thing I know was just a big thud that shook my body. And what happened was the teacher had called a security guard to come to the classroom and pick my desk up off the ground and drop it down to wake me up. But at the same time, and I had never had any interaction with this lady, but at the same time that it woke me up, it literally woke me up because, you know, this was two or three months into the school year, And this lady saw something in me, and she wouldn't give up on me And to the point that she was bothering me about really becoming engaged in her class and and becoming engaged in school. Yep, I just remember that when that security guard dropped my desk, it woke me up for class, but it also woke me up to get through high school and and to get myself back on track. So, Dad, why do you want to become a teacher? 
I don't want to become a teacher by profession. The classroom wasn't the only place that people learned. So I wanted to be a teacher of life and of of what it's like to move in society and do what's right. So I feel like I was your first teacher. You being in the house and learning words and learning how to make different sounds and how to do different things with your body and getting to the point that you're learning ABCs and colors and stuff like that. That's the type of teacher I want to be, not necessarily in the classroom, but a person that can really share stuff with other folks anywhere that I go. And so I wanted to be a teacher because I think it's necessary that we not only go out and get professions that let us live comfortably and have money, but I think we all carry stories that we have to share. I think our stories are kind of the things that help our communities and our families to survive. And particularly the story of Mississippi is something that I felt like I always wanted to share and teach with anybody that's willing to sit down and and be a, a willing set of ears to listen to what I think about this state and where I think we can go with it. And then uh, the other part of teaching is learning and listening. I've been fortunate enough to learn from and listen to some of the greatest minds that ever come through Mississippi, like Frank Figures, who I just was talking with before you came, Derek Johnson and Nashambe Lambright and so many other folks in Mississippi who have been stalwarts in leading this state forward. So that's the type of teacher I want to be. I want to be a teacher like the folks who really opening this state up and moving us forward. So, Dad, why do you take me to protest so much? I think I take you for a bunch of reasons. One is just that I want you to see what it looks like and feels like when people come together. And I don't think we ever been to two protests or two gatherings that were about the same issue. So you've been with me when I've been places where it's been solely about education or where it's been solely about voting or where it's been about immigrant rights and so many different other issues. And I want you to see what it's like for people to come together, but also for you to see the diversity of reasons and issues that bring people together so that when you start to figure out what you want to do with your life, I want you to be able to see how people feel like their lives are intertwined with each other and how their success is dependent upon each other. The first protest I remember is going to a car wash. (laughs) It was exciting, helping. It was about a fundraiser for YPP. So that wasn't a protest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that was that was one event that you yeah. went to, but that's not a protest. A, a protest is like the when we go to the places and the people have the signs and they talking on the microphone and you got a bunch of different speakers saying different stuff or when we marching or stuff like that. Those protests. Do. I don't remember not one of those. <laughs> okay. That was so long ago. <laughs> to hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. There are 1.1 million people living with HIV in the United States, according to an organization called the Bipartisan Policy Center. Some estimates say the number in Mississippi is around 10,000. The Bipartisan Policy Center is part of an effort to end HIV in America. The group's medical advisor, Dr. Anand Parekh, says that's an attainable goal. It is an attainable goal. This is a public health challenge for the nation. It has been for the last uh, four decades, uh, with 6,000 Americans continuing to die uh, each year from the HIV epidemic. But we now have the tools, uh, the evidence-based strategies, um, as well as the resources to effectively uh, end the epidemic in America, as long as uh, all sectors of society uh, work together, particularly to reach uh, key targeted at-risk populations, as well as as long as we can overcome the burden of stigma in this country. Mississippi has a higher rate of HIV infection than a lot of states. How do we compare? Mississippi ranks eighth uh, using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, in 2017, ranks eighth in terms of new HIV diagnosis per 100,000 people. So the current rate is 14.3. Uh, What we're seeing nationally is that half of new infections uh, in the United States are occurring in the South, Um, and two-thirds of new infections are, in fact, happening in uh, in the population of men who have sex with men. Uh, A subset within that population, particularly, are young uh, Americans uh, of color, um, men who have sex with men. Uh, So there are a particular um, demographic groups as well as geographic areas. Uh, We're seeing um, some more uh, higher rates of infections in the last couple of years in rural areas as well. Some of that is related to the opioid epidemic. Some of it is not. But we are seeing some demographic as well as geographic changes in the nature of the epidemic. And that was really one of the reasons, uh, Karen, that we wanted uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center wanted to engage in this new project. You say that uh, a lot of it's centered in southern states, Men having sex with men. Men who have uh, who are having sex with men, so particularly impacting the LGBT uh, community, um, and so that is a critical um, group uh, of focus. And uh, there are additional populations of focus as well. Uh, you know, for example, we still worry about uh, maternal to child transmission. We worry about injection drug users in terms of uh, substance abuse uh, when the Venn diagrams overlap there. Uh, we, we still worry about uh, the epidemic in, in urban America. Um, but, but I think in terms of, of the focus um, in the southern part of the United States, um, that, that is really um, where there's quite a bit of current activity. And you talked about how important it is to eliminate the stigma attached. By eliminating the stigma, does that mean more people who may be HIV positive will seek treatment or or those that aren't sure will get tested? Exactly. That, that, that is exactly the issue. Uh, there are so many places where we need to be, where, where there needs to be improvement. So, for example, there are over one million Americans with HIV in this country. Not everyone knows that, um, that they have HIV. There's about 14 percent of that population that doesn't even know. So that's why testing is critical. Then you need to ensure or facilitate these individuals getting into care, so getting linked to care, getting retained in care, and then having their their infection um, virologically suppressed. 
So some of the targets nationally that we have for this are sort of 90, 90, and 90. So 90% um, in care and 90% retained in care and 90% with virologic suppression. We're only at about 70%, 60%, and 60%. So we we have a ways to go, and certainly reducing stigma uh, will will help us uh, get there. I, I would say, Karen, one more additional point. As I mentioned at the outset, we now have the tools, the resources, thanks to uh, modern medicine, to, to really prevent the transmission of HIV. Uh, it is thought that that if an individual uh, is on treatment uh, and their and and uh, their viral load is suppressed, there's virtually no chance of them transmitting the HIV virus. We also now have medicines to prevent HIVs, what, what's called PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, that if we can uh, ensure that these individuals get to individuals who are at high risk for HIV, that that would be another way to prevent HIV. So we have all of these fantastic tools, thanks to the marvels of, 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 of modern science and, and medicine. We just need to make sure uh, that now uh, Americans have access to these, and certainly reducing stigma would help towards that. Where can people find the report? People can find the report on our website, which is bipartisanpolicy.org. And bipartisan um, policy is all uh, one word. Bipartisanpolicy.org. Dr. Anand Parik is Chief Medical Advisor with the Bipartisan Policy Center. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.